some sky. I got me some wings. Donna Lee comes from a long line of performers. Show business is indeed the family business, with Donna being the fifth generation in her family to embrace performance as a career. As a child, she travelled the country and performed with her parents, her father, Frank Cleary, a juggler and variety performer, and her mother, Gloria Dawn, one of Australia's foremost music theatre performers and dramatic actors. She has been acknowledged with a Green Room Award for her role as Ado Annie in Oklahoma and garnered several Mo Awards for her cabaret work. Extensive work in music theatre has seen Donna feature in shows such as Les Miserables, Summer Rain, Fiddler on the Roof and Dames at Sea. Television work has seen her reside in Summer Bay, Ramsey Street and Wandon Valley. Donna is a font of knowledge and an exuberant guest. We commenced by discussing longevity in the business. That's what I'm finding. Um, it's a really great way to start because I find that there's a love that's uh, disappearing um, in the business called show business to me. I, I think it's more avaricious and, and greedy rather than love. The love that I remember coming up through from the business side from the, of from, it, from, the, from the performers as well. It's becoming um, more competitive. You think, yes, or, definitely, yeah. and. Um, and that camaraderie that, that I remember, maybe I'm kidding myself, but I'm pretty sure I remember a lot more camaraderie than I see now because the world has changed so much and we're watching instant stars and I hear lots of us talk like this and it gets and sounds a little bit boring, but it's just how I'm seeing it, that you can become a star instantly. So It's through reality, reality shows, shows and... and, and, and and the, the talent shows on TV, and, and webs, and, and all that. Yeah, sort of anyone thing. can be, create their own mm, sort of YouTube channel, or dare I say, podcast. And podcasts. <laughs> yeah. No, I love podcasts. No, um, but uh, yeah, so it's changing uh, the people that are coming into it that hopefully will last the distance, like people like myself have. But I don't see it. I don't see them having that longevity. Yes, each generation changes, and I, I guess the generation at the moment want that instant gratification. They're not prepared to put in, not all of them, of course, not but all of them, just generally, right. you know, you need to put in the, the hard yards, don't you? you need Look, to... I remember being in a show opening night, it was a big production, a big production of a show. Actually, the show was Les Miserables when it was done uh, 20 years ago here in Australia. Um, and it was, uh, as I say, one of the first previews. And backstage, one of the young girls in the ensemble was having trouble with one of her quick changes, as um, as there are many quick changes in that show, and you've got to be really on the ball to get on and off and on and off, and in, in you know in time with those. In, incredibly quick changes and she got a little bit r- r- razzled and she said what am I doing anyway I- I- I've-, I've got a, a-, a certificate a-, a Bachelor of Arts degree and I should be playing that other role that that girl's singing now so that has stayed with me forever she was only a young girl she couldn't understand that after graduating uh, she wasn't given 
handed handed that role a, that she a wanted. Role that mm. she wanted. So uh, sh- they're not all like that. But I'm sorry, I have to be truthful and Through say your that's experience. what I'm seeing. Yeah. So how do you maintain your own? Um, resilience and, and well, perseverance is it a self-belief you've got to hold on to that belief in your, your own talent self-belief and also i love what i do you still get nervous and you still get anxious and all that sort of stuff but that love never disappears so that's what i keep coming back to and the love of your your other artists your friends your colleagues that you know, you you have a rapport with and a, a friendship with, and you love seeing them perform and them being fabulous. And it's just the love. I don't know. I can't. It's corny, is it? Does it sound corny? No, no. I think you have to love what you're doing. And mm. if you can be in an occupation that you are passionate about, then you're the luckiest person in the world, aren't you? I always yeah. say that. So lucky when you hear about people. They were showing statistics the other day on the television about so it was probably like more than 50 58% of people go to work every day and don't like what they do isn't that awful that's very sad mm. Mm. but but show business is very much your family business you're the you're the fifth generation of your family to go into that's be- right. performance to be a performer mm. um, do you think that was written in the stars did you, did you ever contemplate another career i didn't i i did never contemplate another career i do have brothers and sisters though that broke away they didn't uh, they sort of were associated with but not as actual performers um and um yes it was just there i didn't even think twice about there to be anything other than to be a performer (laughs) just watching and very lucky because um i always say that uh performers children of performers they're learning subconsciously all the time it's like a plumber a plumber's son would have to know, even if he was a little little boy, have to know how to change a washer in a tap or something, just because he's seen his daddy do it time and time again. And that osmosis. That's it. Yeah. That's that osmosis. So I, I'm very lucky there because the person, well, my parents, my mother and father, my mother was the wonderful Gloria Dawn, um, who many people probably... Lots of people still remember her, but the new new people that are coming into the industry probably don't know about her. But she was a performer that performed in every sphere of the entertainment industry. Yeah, she did television, film, um, radio, stage, plays, musicals, radio. radio. Yeah. Oh, actually, you've left out that other uh, part of the entertainment business that was prior... Vaudeville. Vaudeville, yeah. travelling tent shows... Things like that, which um, was very, very much the uh, the beginnings of um, an Australian entertainment. Yes, okay. well, um, we the, the Tivoli, the Tivoli, of course, was was there from. For, oh, actually, I'd love to know the data. I'm very remiss that I don't know when those beautiful variety shows were there in the Tivoli um, when the Tivoli started. Uh, we have a friend, you and I have a mutual friend called Stuart Green, who would be able to tell us exactly when... Exactly, <laughs> that, the theatre archivist right. and yes. historian. Mm-hmm. Mm. So um, that that variety that uh, we had here in Australia, which was um, everybody's uh, way of having um, so audi- an audience escapism. Was, yeah, that would go to, to an entertainment, which would be a variety show. show. And, yeah. and it was live and it was wonderful and they were bringing out 
big stars from England for these beautiful theatres, these Tiv- the Tivoli Circuit. And um, this was a time before television, of course. Much before mm. television. As a matter of fact, television is probably responsible for the demise of it. You know, so true. Um, mm, so uh, that's where a, a lot of those performers and my mother and father. Um, and the, and uh, were you treated in that variety show? There were unique novelty acts. Beautiful. Like your dad was a juggler. My wasn't father it? was a juggler, and as we always say, I was his first trick. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the vaudevillian variety person coming out in me. That yes, uh, he was a juggler on the Tivoli circuit, and um, that's where they met. Mum and Dad met at, at the Tivoli. And um, yeah, beautiful performers, but uh, of di- different. Um, uh, what, 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 a word that people don't understand anymore is called a sight act, and a sight act, S I G H T, sight act, um, because you just looked at them; they didn't speak, they didn't. As times have changed, the sight acts now do talk, which I've never ever got my head around because they're, they're beautiful when they're magicians that just have us there absolutely enthralled in this magic that they're creating without saying a word and um, jugglers who can juggle those although we've got that beautiful Cirque du Soleil that have found a new way of presenting all these beautiful yeah they've evolved out of vaudeville haven't they they have they um, have yes and and doing circus without the use of animals that's right hmm. Anyway, I'm raving on. What, what, what That's am fantastic. I, what are, well, you're talking about your wonderful parents, parents and, um, and, and they're starting vaudeville. Well, those wonderful parents, my mother's parents were all also uh, In the business. vaudeville performers, right. contortionists, magicians. Um, Was there circus anywhere they, in your... My great-grandparents had a circus. Now, when we say circus today, we think of the beautiful Cirque du Soleil and the... the, 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 the enormous amount of money that must be behind those sort of circuses. These were little travelling circuses that might have had an elephant and a couple of horses and and um, a, a very humble little circus, but they did. They had a circus. Um, and they would tour the country and, the and set up in actually, various rural towns? They actually toured around Malaysia as well. It's... Um, it's amazing when I see some of the photos of them with getting on and off ships and things with elephants and, and horses and and touring over there in in Malaysia and and um, getting back here to Australia, bringing it back here. I've got photos of it that are all crumbling and and disappearing in the bottom drawer of a <laughs> of a cabinet at home because I keep thinking. God, it's it seems like another world ago, but it is good to be talking about it with you like this because it's um it's history, isn't it? Well, these are our history. These are mm. our stories, which I think people need to be aware of mm. and um, and understand. Mm. So, what sort of world did you enter into? <clears throat> I mean, did you grow up in theatres? Were you? Did Mum and Dad take you to the Tiv or wherever yes. they were performing so that you could watch from the wings or yes. stay in a dressing room? All of the above. All of the above, and I sound like I'm about 200 when I, 200 years of age when I tell you my stories because, as I've said to you before, that the industry has changed so much, so quickly, so dramatically, that um, when I say that once my parents finished on the Tivoli circuit, and they were variety performers. Uh, that had to that had children that had to keep 
going with their their work, which was show business, we all piled into a caravan with the kids and the dogs and the cat and the, and the whole thing. It's true, truly like a gypsy story. Um, and we'd get in and we'd go from town to town with shows that they would produce. And we would perform in... Um, oh, not, not, well, that's where I got my start. Um, I eventually went on in a, a, a sketch with my parents in one of these shows that they toured with. But they would tour and perform in the School of Arts halls and, and places like that, town halls and things like that. And I remember as a kid... When we get to a town, the locals will say, oh, oh, look, Mum, Dad, the showies are here. And I always felt like I was like a bit special because kids would think it was exciting that I arrived in town with my parents and they're going to put the show on at the School of Arts Hall. What's well, that old cliche, you know, where every kid talks about wanting to run away and join the circus. Mm, yeah. Well, there I was. Because of that, that <laughs> yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, but that changed quickly and, of course, we had to settle eventually because we were all getting older, all the children, and as my parents said, the welfare department will be after us in a minute if we don't get us, get you all settled into a school and do this properly. So, um, yes, you'd never get away with all this sort of stuff nowadays. No, no, not mm. with child protection mm. laws, etc. Mm. So I sound like I'm 100 you're not a hundred. Donna I've is just, not. Donna is not a hundred. I've just taken a hundred years off myself. I said two hundred, but I've just seen myself in the mirror. I don't look too bad, really. You look alright. <laughs> uh, so, of course, this form of entertainment uh, appearing in in rural towns, because I guess a lot of those towns wouldn't have. There was no television, but they probably wouldn't have even had a cinema. Yes. Well, so they looked forward to the arrival of uh, of the show folk. That's right. We were very, you know, they were very excited to see us, and then of course. Uh, when my parents didn't have their own show, they would join travelling tent shows, the big ones that was like being part of a, a real theatre production um, uh, as opposed to tra- taking your own little production around, like the Sawley's tents and, and, and um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the other tent shows that used to go the follies they used to call them and that used to be exciting for me I could still remember all that Um, I was only little but I can remember they were very clever the producers of those tent shows uh, because they would follow the agricultural shows that were going on in the country so you would have the agricultural the royal show over there agricultural show there and the tent that would be set up just opposite and um so you could k- kill two birds with the one stone. Well, it was smart business i guess wasn't it because a lot of the uh, the community would be drawn to the agricultural mm. show mm. and then mm. the the show folk could mm. could benefit from from yes. that audience that yes. were already there it was very clever yes so i remember all that so in, in those variety tent shows i mean i know the shaman family used to tour a boxing mm. rink so mm-hmm. would that be part of the, the tent right. shows as well or was yes. that quite separate that would no, be there. That, that would have been part of them for as, as much as i remember yes mm. Yes. So your dad, as a juggler and an acrobat, where would he learn those skills? Were, were his parents performers? He, I, I don't... I, I believe that perhaps his uncle was a, a singer or something, but he wasn't... He was just a juggler. He wasn't an acrobat. But um, that sort of skill... Um, I don't know what attracted him. I've never been able to ask, whatever made you think you wanted to be a juggler? And uh, I don't know. It, just, it was because usually jugglers 
uh, become jugglers because their parents are jugglers. That's that's an absolute fact, that one. But um, no, he um, usually, that's just, you know, I suppose there's always an exception to the rule. But most of the time, as a matter of fact, it was funny because at, at, at one stage when we still had the caravan that we were living in, when we got to Sydney, we had to find somewhere to put the caravan so that they could perform in Sydney. By this time, they were performing at nightclubs, clubs that you might have heard of, like Skelsies and, oh, I can't remember, the Latin Quarter and places like this that they used to talk about. So we put the caravan in uh, a house uh, that a, a fellow, a friend of my parents owned. Well, to us, we thought they were the rich people because they had a house that they owned and they let us put our caravan in the backyard and, and plug into the, the power and things like that. But it just so happened that the fellow that owned this house, he was a juggler. And uh, his he had a son that uh, was old enough to start to learn juggling. So he would be out the back practicing. My father would be out the back practicing. Uh, the son would be practicing with the two of them. I'd be there acrobatting. We just we did look like a, a, a family of circus, vaudevillian, everything you see in those movies that we see the um, Eddie Foy and the Seven Little Foy. We just looked like that. If I, I wish I had have had a photo of all that, but I, it's indelibly imprinted in my mind. I remember thinking, oh, this is good. I'm. I, I felt like I was part of a special family still see those people. You, do you know that that son now has a son who's a juggler? Oh, wow. Fantastic. Mm. So osmosis. Something mm. rubbed off. Mm. Um, we, I, we need to say Dad's name too. Is oh, Frank my father, Cleary. Was, yeah. his name was Frank Cleary. Um, uh, he was lucky for... Uh, I always think now when I, I look back at everything, how lucky he was um, when it finally started to slow down and of course when you're a juggler you know you've got to be on top of your game and to to, you know make sure you catch all those tricks and everything and 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 you get older so what area was he to go into and he ended up becoming the entertainment director at in the halcyon days of the sydney club circuit in the 70s at eastern suburbs leagues club where at that time, they were bringing out those great stars like Catherine Grayson, Howard Keel, Van Johnson, all these people. So he went from this, you know, his world of travelling around and working at the, uh, the uh, Tivoli, on the Tivoli circuit, then creating his own work and then doing the Sydney club circuit. And then when it started to slow down for him, there, handed to him, on a beautiful silver platter was the role of taking over the as entertainment director to that big club and brushing shoulders with all those wonderful people. How lucky was he? Billy Daniels, Billy Eckstein, um, uh, Matt Munro, Carmen McRae, Johnny... Oh, who's the man that sang... Johnny Mathis? No. no. Uh, the, Johnny Ray. Johnny Ray, yeah. all those people of that ilk that at that stage in the 70s, which is now 40, 40 years. 40, I know. 40 when you, when you <laughs> count, it's sort of, a bit horrifying, yes, isn't it? Yes, but they were still very, very big stars of their time. You know, they were... Oh, look, honestly, so I think back and think, oh, how lucky was he? Yeah. And he used to have to pick them up and from the airport and make sure that they were all comfortable and be able to 
ask them stories about. I'm sure. I'm sure you've got lots of photographs. Yvonne too. De Carlos. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. fabulous. Had one fellow, no need to remember when, cause everything old is new again. Dancing at your Long Island Jazz H parties, way to bring some more Bacardi. Order now what they ordered then, cause So tell us about the club circuit, because that was huge in Sydney, wasn't it, in the 70s and 80s? Well, it seemed that those variety performers that finished sort of at their peak in in the 60s, when the Tivoli, um, the demise of the Tivoli, when that finished, they branched out into the Sydney club circuit. We're talking leagues clubs, RSL clubs? Leagues clubs, RSLs. Football clubs, yes, football clubs, all sorts of clubs. Actually, the way you defined them were um, licensed clubs that had poker machines, I suppose. Well, poker machines were just... Uh, mm, were the revenue and were able were the things that were able to... So the clubs were trying to pull an audience in to spend money on the, mm. uh, on the machines and well, honest, do that through entertainment. Well, and it was incredible because people can't believe that you would go along and see... Oh, can you th- pull a, another ha- a name out of a hat and see if she was there? Uh, another star, look, Catherine Grayson, for instance. You'd go along to see Catherine Grayson at South Sydney Juniors or Eastern Suburbs Leagues Club or St George Leagues Club for the grand total of free admission. You used to go in and see these stars, Robert Goulet. Anthony Newley keep talking all these wow. people wow. and the cost would be zilch if you were a member of that club and you rang in and booked with your membership you would you would be there in the front row to see these people well of course you wouldn't leave without putting something through the poker machine seeing as though you didn't pay anything to see such fabulous acts and I think that's how they survived at that stage for me my big dream and desire was to be a leading lady in musical comedy, as we called it. Of course, we now call it music theatre. But I wanted to be a leading lady in musical comedy. I saw um, most ladies that I admired were musical comedy stars, like the Tony Lamonts, the Jill Perrymans, and, of course, my lovely mum, Gloria Dawn. And I um, that's what I wanted to do, but... Um, it didn't always ha- work out the way I wanted it to, but I was very lucky to have seen that other side of the industry of show business, um, which was if you had a, 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 what do we call, a cabaret act, as they call them now, a variety act, you could fall back on that. Lots of um, people that had aspirations to be in music, musical comedy would have to go and get a job in a, cafe perhaps or a, or um, an, an answering service or, or, or a call centre yeah. call centre that's it uh, whereas I was lucky I had an act so uh, my parents kind of encouraged that and that was obviously a form that you excelled in you obviously enjoyed being yourself with a microphone in front of an audience that's right yeah um, 
to me, that, that seems an incredibly vulnerable position to be in as well. You can't hide behind a character. Or did you create a, a stage persona for yourself? In order no, to... it was... No, I didn't. It was... Truly, it is. It's just... And may I say, that's changed now too. It was... You could just be yourself, get up there. You could choose your favourite songs that you loved singing. You could choose things that you thought showed you, showed you off in your best light. Um... And, uh, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I loved it. I was always quite nervous because, as you say, you are quite vulnerable, just showing people that that's me, that's it, what you see is, is me. I'm, I'm not being Ado Annie. I'm not be, being another character. I'm being Donna Lee. And, um, and if you mean it from the bottom of your heart, most of the time it works. People like you. Often it, when I was a young girl, I remember... Um, um, in some of the clubs if there was an audience with lots of young girls in the audience and they'd see you up there and they'd, they'd look at you with a bit of a look of um, oh who does she think she is up there and and they were sitting there with their boyfriends and things like that and I, I would feel it and see it you could in working in variety not in um, clubs or cabaret you often can see an audience you know way back to about the tenth table or something and you could see their faces being a little bit um, not too keen on their boyfriends staring at this girl up there on the stage and I would make it my business to make sure I could break them down it's terrific it was just a little challenge in my head and you could see them sitting there with their arms folded in the beginning of the act and then you'd see them finally start to giggle a little bit because I'd do a bit of comedy and and they could see I didn't take myself that seriously and I wasn't trying to steal their boyfriend. By the end of the show, by the end of my act, they'd be there loving me. So that was my challenge and I'd come off and I'd pack my gear and get in the car and go home and say, I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> <laughs> the club scene still exists, but um, um, it had a demise, didn't it? What what caused that? Why did the well, well, as I say, perhaps um, television was the demise of the, the, of the TV, theater, yeah. and then, and then of course the the clubs. Um, they all say that a lot of it was the drink driving thing that came in the right. that that. Um, what is it? The point of point of five, five yes. that would help legal driving. Legal driving, yeah, mm-hmm. the dri- uh, driving limit, and then um, with all this, all these devices and things that they've, people have got so many choices now, and and also everything is so grand now, which I'm hoping. I really believe. I don't know if I do believe. But I'm hoping that perhaps simplicity might come back again because everyone sees things done on a level of any production that you see with those big stars. It's millions and millions of dollars. So they've lost the idea of coming in and seeing somebody sing with a piano being another lovely, nice form of of entertainment, of, of reaching people you know, reaching across... Look, and theatre's becoming very cost-prohibitive too, isn't and it? I mean, if so you have a family and you want to take them to a musical, I mean, honestly, you could probably afford to do it once a year and that's it. I honestly can say, I know this sounds over the top, but $500, has got to be the cost to take a family to the theatre. And you, you look at 
Broadway now, if that's going to be a model for the future. That's unfortunate where, you know, shows like Hello, Dolly and Dear Evan Hansen, they're charging $750 and more a seat just because of the success of the show. Well, once upon a time I used to think, gee, those people are rich, those people that go to the opera. (laughs) Well, now people... Thank you, those people are rich that go, go to, to music. musical comedy. Yeah, musical comedy, good on you. <laughs> Maybe this time I'll be lucky. Maybe this time he'll stay. Maybe this time, for the first time, love won't hurry away. Now, before you mentioned your wonderful mother, the legendary Gloria Dawn, and, you know, people do still speak about her today. Oh, I and, love that. Um, and various performances that they saw her in. Perhaps not the, the younger generation, but that's mm. why we're doing interviews like this, so that they, they can learn. But um, what an extraordinary woman. People listening, have a look at YouTube. There are various clips of Gloria Dawn in her element, and she's sensational. And I was astounded by the wonderful gimmick she had of, of whistling. I know, that is another thing that's um, disappeared. It's very old-fashioned, but um, it was something that was... Oh, look, I remember being a little girl and she used to sing a song called Pedro the Fisherman. And some of the lyrics are, Pedro the Fisherman was always whistling down a, upon the stream or something. Well, I feel guilty that I don't know those words, but I remember how... Uh, going from one of those really bright um, songs that would make you feel good, like something like, oh, you met someone who set you back on your heels. Goody, goody. One of those old-fashioned feel-good songs. And she would sing those and then she would finally, in her act, uh, talk about Pedro the fisherman and sing about how he would go down to the to fish and he would always whistle as he did it and and then of course in the story of Pedro the fisherman he passes away and often people still go down to where he used to fish by the sea and they could always think that they could hear the ghost of him whistling his songs and she would whistle in a way that would bring tears to your eyes because you you could hear that she would be able to change that whistle into a, a, an instrument that would make you cry, like violins do sometimes. Or, uh, but then, in the next breath, she'd use that whistle as <laughs> sounded like a... Uh, well, that was extraordinary. Was. She, she goes into a, a whistling break, and yes, it's like an instrument. She mm. could be playing the clarinet yeah. or a saxophone mm. or, or something. It's quite extraordinary, mm. quite extraordinary. That's old-fashioned. The, the, those things of all, lots of those things don't um, don't get a look in anymore. But um, you know, it is great to see it all and and see how we've evolved. And but those sort of performers did not come through institutions. Those poor performers learnt it on on the job. The job, mm. and that's where I think that if you survived, 
you were pretty good, you know, mm. because if you if you couldn't survive um, and and get through it all, well, you shouldn't have been there, I suppose. Um, Catherine Brisbane, the great uh, mm. critic, uh, described your mum saying uh, she was never stage struck and never in her own mind a star. She was in the business because she was born into it and knew nothing else. I hear also that there was great humility about your mum too. She was a very um, down-to-earth uh, lady who would take on any role as a challenge and, and succeed. Well, you know, because of that, she made it quite difficult for myself because she hardly gave me any... Oh, dear, this is awful to say this. She did support me, but in a very, very played-down manner because she wouldn't want a child to think that just because they're a performer they're um, better than anyone better else. than anyone else she never thought that about herself even though she was better than a lot of people in my opinion um, she was uh, she would never let you do that so I didn't um, I remember sadly when she passed away with that dreaded disease called well I I can't even I don't use the word much, but it's that word that starts with C. And um, she, that took her. But, uh, you know, and it was a very long, drawn-out, awful way that she went. And you'd, you'd see her every day. And uh, I remember um, I was doing a television series at the time called The Restless Years. I was a bit of a soap star for a little while there. And... Um, they had a, a telethon on at the time, uh, uh, the same channel that was running that TV series, and a lot of us that were in the series were on the telethon. And I got to sing um, um, a number, oh God, um, Mammy. I sang Mammy on the, on the telethon, hoping that poor Mummy was in hospital, might have been watching. And... Uh, when I left the television studio, it was late at night, and I went straight to the hospital to visit her. And I remember walking and went, Hi, Mum, and she said to me, You've improved. So that's the sort of support that I used to get from my mother because she always wanted my humility to stay the way her humility was, which was don't get too carried away with yourself and don't kid yourself. Just know that what you do is 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 something that not everyone can do and get in there, do it to your best of your ability and um, enjoy yourself, but don't get carried away. <laughs> she um, certainly followed that showbiz mantra of the show must go on. And, and when she was quite ill, she continued on quite stoically in her final performance, her final role of Mama Rose in Gypsy. Mm. Um, that's extraordinary that uh, she would continue to turn up even though she was um, fighting that dreaded illness. Mm, um, yeah, that is um, something that's disappeared too out of um, the new generation. I, I hope I don't sound like I'm picking on them. But oh, it, no, it's quite, it's quite true. You hear it, it, yes. you know, major commercial musicals where mm. they're reporting that, you know, six, seven of the kids have called in sick that night because... Mm. of a minor ailment well not only because of a minor, minor ailment but because they were going to a wedding that they didn't want anyone oh, to right. know about oh, okay. and things like that so um, I find that a shame too that, that's where I was saying to you about the love if you loved what you did as much as you say you do when you go along to the auditions and you're desperate to get into the show and you'll say you'll do anything for them and then all of a sudden 
that love disappears because you've got a, a wedding that you need to go to or I, I hope I don't I, am I sounding like a wicked witch of the west or no, something? No, not at all, not at all. You but, are, um, but uh, it, it, when you love the business, you and for me, I actually, I was in a show once where I never ever went off. I've got a bit of a reputation of the same thing. Of course, if you're ill, you have to go off. But if you don't, so don't you, understudy Donna Lee. That's what they you're would never say. Go on. That's what they'd say. And I remember I'd been in a show for about a year and. One of the girls in the show came into my dressing room on behalf of her friend, who was also in the show, and sat down in my dressing room and I said, oh, what is it? She said, look, Donna, when are you going to give her a go? I said, I beg your pardon? She said, you've been playing this role. You never... Why don't you give her a chance? I said, now listen here. You're... How many shows is this that you've done? This is... I've been doing this all my life and I want you to know that sometimes it's a long time between drinks. In other words, you might think you're on a bit of a, a wave, a crest of a wave, and then the next thing, you know, you get... You're not working for five not, years. That's right. So when you get hold of a role, it's your role, and I don't take it lightly. And, um, of course, I have to not perform if I'm not well but if I'm well and capable of doing it and people know that Donna Lee is playing that role and and I'm not kidding myself that people come along to see Donna Lee play that role not Betty Kafoops not Betty Kafoops and they would understand if if Donna Lee wasn't well but if I was just going to somebody's uh, christening or something they wouldn't understand that so I was quite thrown by somebody But also it's your role. You've been given that role by the creative team. I was trying to explain to them. I don't take it lightly. I love it when I get a role. (laughs) Your mum was was great mates with the the playwright Peter Canard. Yes. And she worked with him in uh, several several shows. A Hard God, a fabulous play about the the Catholic family that uh, he was in and the slaughter of St. Teresa's Day. Mm. How did they become mates? Um, he, uh, it was probably the Philip, Philip Theatre where she did those reviews and things and a cup of tea, a, a cup, cup of tea, a Bex and a good lie down. Yep. Many she she went into one of those um, reviews and became a bit of a success at it because she was able to. She introduced a bit of vaudeville into those reviews, which people talked to. So she had success there and. Um, Peter Canal was associated with that theatre. Uh, he performed in in things there, and I think that's where he. I, I don't know, but I I think that that's where it's he held up there. Yeah, and um, he was very excited to put her into these plays. She said to him, "I don't think I'm. I haven't done anything along those lines," and she said, "I don't think that I'd be right. How, why would you think?" He said, "Well, I'm the writer of the play." give me some credit to think that I might know who would be able to play this role. So I remember when she played the role in A Hard God, which was very, very... Aggie. Yeah, she played Aggie with Tony Sheldon. Our lovely friend Tony Sheldon was in that, playing her son. And um, uh, she she had it. She, She found that she could be a serious actress as well as this... Well, as a ref- reflection of her talent, you know, it's, it's yeah. not too many actresses who can play Mother Courage and Mama Rose. I know, yeah. I know. 
Yes, that was enormous. For, yes, mm. but when she did that, I do remember her coming home saying, oh, Peter asked me to do one special thing for him in the play. I said, what was that? She said, well, at the end of the play, poor Aggie loses her husband. And as the lights slowly dim down to a, a blackout, she sits there praying. She wasn't a Catholic like her husband was, but she was praying a Catholic prayer as the lights come down. It's the finish of the show, and it's so sad, and everybody's sobbing. Anyway, when the lights come up, that's when you take your bow, and she'd be there at the end of the play, smiling and grinning and taking a bow like she's always done in every show. And he said, Gloria, darling, they're all crying. Please don't smile and take a bow. It was the only thing she got wrong. That's fantastic. <laughs> This is one of those songs that you hear now and then You don't know just where and you don't know just when It's one of those songs that are over and then It's one of those songs that start playing again Yes, it's just one of those songs that you hear for a while That comes into fashion, then goes out of style It's one of those songs that you think you forgot But it's one of those songs you cannot so you, you find a career in musical comedy, so to speak, you know, you sail away and you get your gun, fiddler on the roof, dames at sea, les miserables, Snoopy, I could go on and on and on. You've got quite an extensive list of credits. Um, I love, I love the musicals. What was your first musical? Well, actually, you just mentioned it was Sail Away. I was nine at the time. It was with J.C. Williamson's... Was that Maggie Fitzgibbon? Was That's she right. That? Yes, yes. And um, it was a Noel Coward musical. And I was one of the children in, in that. It was pretty exciting. Uh, and it was the old Her Majesties, not the Her Majesties that has just gone. It was the one prior to that. It was beautiful. Was it on the same... On the same spot, yep. yes. Um, that is now a big block of apartments, which is so sad. sad, isn't it? Anyway, yes, yeah, so that was my first one, um, uh, Sail Away. And after Sail Away, um, the next production was um, a revival of Annie Get Your Gun. And I went straight into that. They, as one of the children? As one of the children, right. yes. And um, I remember going to school, um, the last school that I went to, of, of which I went to many schools travelling around the way I did. Was that uh, difficult, sort of having to uproot and sort of find new friends and, and leave old friends behind? And Do you know what? When you talk about it, you hear children always um, answer like this and... You just thought that that's the way it was. Right. You just did it, and, um, and I hope that uh, not. I hope. I, I imagine that contributed to your resilience about. I think just so. getting on with things. I think and, so. And yeah. adapting to change. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because you could adapt. You could very much adapt because you're in a different town, a different place, different people. That's right. I remember uh, going to school at Mount Carmel Waterloo was my last school that I went to, and I was learning shorthand and typing there just in case, which I, it's come in very handy now that we all have iPads. <laughs> but um, uh, I remember them saying that there is an audition on Saturday for a show called Fiddler on the Roof and they needed uh, someone to play the youngest daughter. So I, um, again, oh, by the way, when I did those other two shows when I was nine, my mother, who was showing me once again that she didn't want me to be precocious or or think that I was over-special being a performer, let me catch two buses 
to the auditions when I was nine years of age to get into the shows. She didn't want me to be driven there and get any special privileges or wow. anything. Um, you had to, to earn your stripes. Mm. Mm. So, but um, anyway, so I did the same thing when I was at school here at uh, Mount Carmel Waterloo. Um, got in, in the bus on the Saturday, went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. And I never went back to school again. <laughs> I love that story. That's the truth. Yeah, we got into the show and never went back to school again. All right. So how old were you? Um, Fifteen. Oh, okay. So you were a leaving age. So, mm. yeah, yeah. You'd completed a lot of your education. Um, but look, just in those first three shows, you're working with extraordinary talents like Maggie Fitzgibbon and Evie Hayes. Hayes and Gordon. And Hayes Gordon. Yeah, Did I didn't you... work with Evie Hayes. It was a la- oh, right. the lady that played Annie Get Your Gun. Was, her name was Anne Hart. Did Evie do it? Here? Prior, that's why I right. say it was the... And she came was, in as a is, replacement cast? No. No? It no. was a, a previous production? Previous production. Right, this okay, a, sorry, a revival. A revival. Yeah. And the lady who played Annie Oakley, her name was Anne Hart, and um, everyone would know her as Ronnie Corbett's wife. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Mm. So, yes, yeah, so those were those shows. But, um, yes, then when I was in um, one of the best uh, lessons that I ever learnt was from Hayes Gordon just watching him perform every night as if it was the first time he ever did it and cried every night as if it was the first time he ever heard those words spoken to him. And I remember um, I used to... I must have been so keen and ambitious. There was that scene where Hayes Gordon would cry and I always, at that stage of my life, to see a man cry... As as Tevye, the milkman. As Tevye, the milkman, that's right. Um, was pretty confronting, you know, because life's changed so much and a man crying back then in in the 60s when this musical was playing um, was very confronting. And I used to go from my dressing room every night to stand on the side of that stage to watch him... Wow. ..to think that he could cry like that every night. And... um, Yes, what was it about the craft of acting that helped him... That's it, and so create that every night. Yeah. That's right, and you'd watch him, and um, uh, 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 I even remember. It's changed. Here I go again. It's changed so much that if he would be walking towards you in a theatre in the, the the dressing room hallways, you'd stand aside for him because he, he you know, you, you'd put them on such a pedestal. Nowadays, everybody's. Well, he's an extraordinary part of our theatre heritage in that he was an American who... who did he come to Australia for a show? Because he was, in the, he was in the original production of Oklahoma on Broadway. Was he? he I've was. just learnt something there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then he came to Australia to do Kismet, Kismet. wasn't it? Right. Yes. And then, of course, founded the Ensemble Theatre. Mm. So to be with him and to have um, the chance to... He would put give acting classes occasionally for the cast and... and um, was tremendous. I was so lucky to be part of all of that, and as a young girl, so I didn't get to the to the um, the beautiful schools that they have now. But I was very lucky to be brushing shoulders with the likes of you know, Hayes Gordon, and being able to do classes with him and and work at the same time. How lucky! <laughs> do you have a, a favourite musical or a role that you've done, or is it always got, the job you're working on? I've got three. Three. Yep. Um. And in chronological order, 
it goes Oklahoma when I played Ado Annie. I I just loved loved that role. Never missed a show. Loved it so much. Um, when that show finished, it was it was directed by the way by James Hammerstein, Oscar's son. Oh, fabulous! Mm. Yeah, right. So and was that was that the John Dietrich? Yes. Production? Yeah. Right, mm. okay. And if you'd ask questions about certain things, he'd say, listen, I live with the bastard, so I should know what he was talking about <laughs> and what he thought. So um, it was terrific, and I loved it, loved it, um, just being the girl who can't say no. And that year, when that finished, um, a new awards started called the Green Room Awards. And yeah, they rang me. They're based in Melbourne, aren't they? They yeah. rang me from Melbourne and said, um, you better get down to Melbourne. I said, what's going on? They said, oh... Just better get down here. And anyway, I won the inaugural Green Room Award for it for the role of Ado Annie and supporting role in musical theatre, I think. Music theatre. Anyway, that was my favourite, one of my favourite times. Another time was in a little production over at the Marion Street Theatre called Dames at Sea with Tony Sheldon. And uh, we, the cast, it was just a cast of six we just had the best time honestly it was it was um it's a gorgeous uh, musical too it's, isn't it's it i'm surprised it's never been revived well, in it's recent so times funny because it's 42nd street which has a cast of 50 it's it's a send up of 42nd street with a cast of 6 oh wow it's so so funny so that was um another one of my favorite times and when i toured all over Asia, and we ended up in South Africa actually, which was incredible with the piece that we were playing, was uh, the 10th anniversary production of Les Miserables when I played Madame Thenardier. And I just loved that and I loved it. I, I guess that when you've got a cast that you all seem to click with, it just doubles the fun for you. Because, mm. They're three very different shows as well. Yeah, yeah, wasn't which I, is great. And yeah. aren't you good so to notice that? Tastes. Aren't you good to notice that? Because well, you, you know, the traditional... Well, Oklahoma, a seminal work in the, the musical theatre uh, genre. And then uh, Dames at Sea, which is very much a, a smallish... Um, what's little, the uh, boutique little, show? Yes, that's yeah. good, yes. And then, and then that then, wonderful juggernaut, Les Mis. Yes, yeah. so I'm very lucky to be able to say that I have being able to do those different styles of of um of theater working in commercial musicals often requires touring are mm. you good at touring do you like touring i don't i don't mind touring um i guess it's in your blood you've toured all your life that's exactly yeah. right and then as a matter of fact it's ridiculous because you you end up knowing the back streets of town <laughs> You go, oh, I know, yes. If you go around the back way here, and we're in Albury or something, and we're in in strange, obscure towns, and you you know your way around, you go, oh, my God, that's You've been right. there before. Because I've done this forever. Mm, so, um, anyway, I'm very lucky to be doing what I do and to be able to say that I've been, as a child performer, brushing shoulders with very, very prominent and terrific performers and learning so much you know you soak it up when you're a kid and learning so much from them then going on into the um in, in learning on the on the job and doing your variety act in the clubs and and then um doing those big beautiful musicals like Les Mis was just sensational and well of course to get those roles there's a necessary evil oh. you have to audition are you good with auditions do you like auditions 
Um, I don't like them, but I've got better at them over the years. And um, and you do just have to take a breath and think, okay, well, it's up to you know the the director's uh, vision of what he's wanting for this. Does he want a short blonde? Does he want a fat blonde? Does he want a tall brunette? Does he want? <laughs> how does he see this role? So I'll show him how I see it. And um, if he doesn't want that one, or if she doesn't want it that way, well, them's the breaks. But um, it's a psychological game, isn't it? You know that voice in your head which is telling you that this is wrong or that's wrong or. What do they think? You're trying to second guess. But you do. It's all pointless because, of course, every audition panel wants you to get the job, don't they? But there are various considerations which we abide by at times. That's right. We have to. And there's so many levels. I mean, there are directors that are very upset that they haven't had the last say because the producer steps in and says, I'm putting the money in. I want this person. And then there's the producer who has an idea and he 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 gives the director his say and then he loses it's it's very convoluted and very not as easy as everyone thinks and not as straightforward as you think and it's awful it is awful because you do lay yourself on the line every time you do it but that's the only I, I heard Barbara Streisand talking about it. Do you believe her that she that said she I don't think no, no. so. There was one that she, no was it even before she was the enormous star that she is now, I don't believe that she auditioned, but she said she did. Anyway, Babs, if you're listening, I don't believe you. <laughs> I hope she is listening. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> She's gorgeous. Do you read reviews? Do you take um, notice of them? Oh, I suppose you only read the ones where they say good things about you, don't you? You, you read, well, you read them, well, and you if, hear if you them. don't agree with it, you think, oh, what a load of shit. Yeah, that's it. But mm. otherwise, mm. Mm. yeah. Oh, mm. he knows what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Probably that's the way I look at them too, <laughs> like most performers. <laughs> I want you to know that I would do it all again. I'm sure we'd make the same mistakes. But we could make it through the pains and joys and aches we knew back when. I would do it all, I'd do it all again before I go. I want you to know. Um, you ventured uh, into the recording area also. You've got, you've got oh, look, several. I'm... CDs that you My recorded? favourite one is called um, You're Going to Hear From Me that I recorded with the wonderful Tommy Tico and a 50-piece orchestra. And um, he was oh, he was fantastic to me and he was lovely. He said to me once that I was a chip off the old block, which really endeared me to him. So um, when I uh, decided to make this album happen, I took notice of every single word he said and um, he said look I have an arrangement here of your mother's that she did I think you should put this on the record oh so he, did he work with her in TV and yes, Clubland yes yeah. he did oh, right. very much he worked with her lots. Oh, she right. had a TV special that he was the musical director of right. and, and um, uh, so um, yes it, I'm very proud of that album and um, I do believe, according to Tommy, who isn't here anymore, he's he's up in heaven with them all. 
he did say to me that that arrangement that I did for you for uh, Once Before I Go, the Peter Allen song, he rang me and said, Tommy, I want that arrangement. So I've got a, an, uh, an arrangement of Once Before I Go written by Peter Allen. Oh, not the arrangement was done by Tommy Tico, but a Peter Allen song. But you performed it first. The I did. Yes. It's my arrangement. He can't have it. <laughs> He's up there anyway with Tommy. They're probably still. So they're probably it. doing it. Yes. <laughs> um, who are your favourite vocalists? Oh well, of course, as a as a little girl, I was always inspired and loved Judy Garland, as we all did in that era, and and um, they're sort of, I suppose, as vocalists go the wonderful. Barbara Streisand but um, performers the, uh, the, not saying that Judy Garland isn't a great vocalist but a different she's a, an all round package so um, the Judy Garlands and the what about the shows you've got you, you do a Doris Day show and a Petula Clark yeah at the moment as I was saying to you things have changed now with being able to be yourself as when you put an act together I call them an act people call them a cabaret show but uh, when you, you do your act um, once upon a time, you could be yourself, as we spoke about before, but now everybody has to do a tribute to someone for some reason. I have no idea how that came about. Would you have any idea why did that happen? That we can't just be a performer and sing songs that suit us and that we love and and weave a story and and, and, and weave a story. Thing, right? Now we have to tribute people. So. I did that, and my first one was Donna Lee Sings Doris Day, which I launched at the Orpheum Theatre here in Sydney, owned by Mike Walsh, where they, I came out with a beautiful trio and um, sang an hour of Doris Day songs. The, the audience went out, had a cup of tea and a biscuit, and then came back in and watched a Doris Day film. So um, but that then got got legs and got bigger and bigger and it's now a show that I can do either that way or a, two halves with a beautiful um, PowerPoint presentation behind me with all the, the Doris Day photos and films that I mention and talk about. Um, and then I, I did that for about a decade actually and then um, I thought, well, I better it's now time to do another one so I decided to go with Petula Clark because I went to the State Theatre one night and saw the State Theatre which seats 2,050 people something like that um, jam-packed with people desperate to see the 80-year-old Petula Clark and um, out she came they were all adored her she, every song she sang was a hit song or, 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 or any song that wasn't her hit song. She was associated with it by being in one of those musicals because she's done musicals, she's done films, she's done so much. So I thought, I think my next one's going to be Donna Lee Sings Petula Clark. And, and, and it is, and it's what I have been doing um, just recently and uh, had a lot of success with it because every time you start a song they all go oh that's right when you're alone and life is making you lonely you can always go downtown, downtown. <laughs> beautiful um, not only the pop songs but she's done uh, she played um, uh, Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard she starred in Blood Brothers she starred in Sound of Music she's done so many stage um, the musicals as well as the films 
And extraordinary that she's still performing at 80. And you know what? When I sat there and saw her and she said uh, uh, she admitted to being 80, she was telling a fib because she was 83. Oh, Isn't really? Fabulous. Wow. Do, you, do you hope to be performing at 83? Well, I suppose I have to say yes, I do, but it's something that is suitable for an 83-year-old person to be doing. I don't think I want to be up there doing um, uh, things that I did when I was 23. Yeah, yeah, Mm, sure, mm, sure, sure. mm, mm. Um, How do you unwind after a performance? Um, Yeah, that is always um, a big one, but... um, I suppose my mother made me realise that don't get too carried away with yourself. That's your job done. Now get home and um, have your shower and sort. I'm, I don't suppose I think that every night is a celebration of um, look how well you just performed tonight. I suppose you do get into that mindset of that's your job. Been there and I've done my fabulous performance once again. Now it's time to go home and have my supper and get to bed so that I can get up and do it again. As the shop assistant from Maya goes home after work and mm. and anyone else. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the day's job done. I suppose I do sneak in a couple of wines. Well, I think that's essential. Mm, exactly. I think just, just one wine. <laughs> and who doesn't? The shopkeeper at Maya <laughs> that's does. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you love most about performing? Oh, um, uh, oh gee. Uh, uh, do people know how to answer that? Uh, some do. Some, it's just... It's just it's, you you is it, you know nothing else. It's, I guess it's, it's no. It's it's just some. I keep coming back to the love of it. I just love to do it. It's that connection with an audience. It's I suppose, connecting that with person, an audience. Human. Do you know contract. what is amazing? It is amazing that there is that feeling. Oh, more so when you do a cabaret show, that that being able to connect. I don't come from a background where you speak very uh, deeply about what you do and analyse it and break it down. We're just, we were those sort of carnival, carnival type people, I suppose. Just that's what you did and... You get on with it. You get on with it. But uh, this is being sort of deep for me. To say that the way you feel it happen when you're going well, you know, when you're going well doing your act and you get up there and you've got an audience... And and people, especially nowadays with television, which makes everyone an armchair critic, they all know what you should do and what you shouldn't do, what you should wear, what you shouldn't wear. They know all about it. So I love that I, if that's what I've learnt, it's something that not everyone can do, and that is to be able to get out there have an audience who have not decided yet whether they like you or not and in most times being able to at the end of that show you feel like you've won the audience yeah. and you've shared something I've you've, shared you've something bonded, yeah. they've lo- I, I, I sometimes look down and I, I can see that I've brought someone to tears singing a song and I think gosh I did that. I mean, not that that's what you want. You, you, it's people connecting with their emotions and and I think that that's what I get out of. I think, gee, how did I learn to be capable of doing that with something that, here I go again, that I love doing? Isn't it? Aren't I lucky? You're, we're, you're very lucky. Mm. And we're very lucky to have you. Oh, on stage. that's lovely. 
Donzi, thank you so much oh, for, for chatting today on Stages. Um, it's, it's been wonderful. Thank you, and thank you for caring about talking to people like myself to, to pass on my experience, and hopefully it, um, it gives them something to think about. Absolutely, thank you. <laughs> now we go over and turn it off. That was great. Oh, gosh. Don't you think? Do you have a good time? Yeah. I love a wonderful, play me a wonderful, get ready for the big finish, one of those wonderful, I love a wonderful, play me a wonderful, not yet I'll tell you when.